I love the name Hannah. If I uh, had a little girl, I think I would have wanted to name her Hannah Grace. I had a friend who named their little girl Hannah Grace, and Hannah, which means grace, I just thought how beautiful that was to have a double portion of grace for your little one. Above all, I love the story of the young woman named Hannah, who's in the midst of a great trial, who also gives us a great pattern to follow that will lead to wholeness and joy. I ask you to turn to 1 Samuel 1, beginning in the fourth verse. You can follow along on the screen behind or in your copy of God's word. May the Spirit add his blessing to the reading of his word. When the day came that Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and her daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had closed her womb. Her rival, however, would provoke her bitterly to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. It happened year after year, as often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she would provoke her, so she wept and would not eat. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep and why do you not eat and why is your heart sad? Am I not better to you than ten sons? Then Hannah rose and after eating and drinking in Shiloh, now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She, greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give me your maidservant a son, then I will give to the Lord all the days of his life, and a razor shall never come on his head. Now it came about as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli was watching her mouth. As for Hannah, she was speaking in her heart, only her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. So Eli thought she was drunk. Then Eli said to her, how long will you make yourself drunk? Put away your wine from you. But Hannah replied, no, my Lord, I am a woman oppressed in spirit. I have neither drunk wine nor strong drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant as a worthless woman, for I have spoken until now out of my great concern and provocation. Then Eli answered and said, go in peace, and may the Son, the God of Israel, grant your petition that you have asked of him. She said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Then they arose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord and returned again to her house in Ramah. And Elkanah had relations with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. It came about in due time after Hannah had conceived that she gave birth to a son and she named him Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. Would you pray with me? <clears throat> Holy Father, we thank you for this wonderful story. And pray, Father, that it will be a blessing today to your people. I imagine, Father, and know of some 
that there are, are, are some in the congregation that are struggling, that feel persecuted, that are struggling with health, with finances, with family. And we pray this very moment, Lord, that this would be a meaningful time, that your spirit would speak through these words so that we might be changed, encouraged, feel your presence, and receive your blessing. By the power of your spirit, Father, make this a meaningful time so that our hearts might be changed and our hearts in the changing be a blessing to yours. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. There is something so appealing about this story of Hannah to me. As I read this passage, I was immediately just drawn to her. It was something that, I, I just felt something about the message, but at first reading I kind of thought, well, what, what is the message? What is the value of this story today? Surely it must be more than just that we feel empathetic for a young woman without a child, or, or surely we must be, it must be more than feeling empathetic about a woman who has a, a great adversary, a, an opponent who bitterly persecutes her. Of course, in those days, it was no small thing for a woman not to have a child, and specifically a son. You see, the, the value of a woman in those days was based on her ability to have children. And, and even more than that, that son that she so badly desired, not only for the relationship, for the blessing, for the joy, but was also her social security. Because in the her elder days, in her days when she couldn't work anymore, she couldn't take care of herself, it was the expectation that her sons would rise up and bless her. So what do we find so appealing or moving about this passage? Yes, we too feel empathy for her. We too have trials and persecution. We have our own Peninnah, a bitter adversary. But how wonderful it is that this passage, this story, simply doesn't leave us heartbroken or with empathy, but gives us a roadmap beyond oppression, beyond bitterness, to a place of peace. The first thing that I would draw your attention to this morning is found in verse 10. It says, she, greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And I know what you're thinking. I know what you're saying is that all you preachers have, all you want to talk about is prayer. Well, it's a pretty good place to start and sometimes to end. But I want you to note not only that she prayed, but how she prayed. And I want you to note even something that she, she didn't do before she prayed. You see, I've seen in my own life, there have been times when who faced a trial, and, and, and the temptation is to go and to build my case, to defend my position. But Hannah hardly replies to her husband, nor did Hannah go to five fine friends and, and, and whatever the majority said. Have you ever done that in, in the midst of a great trial? Just go and start polling your friends. What do you think I should do? What do you, and you want to take the majority and go with that. Or, or are you just going to keep asking people, have you ever done that? I'm just going to keep asking people till I find someone that agrees with what I wanted to do in the first place. Anyone here ever? No, not us. Presbyterians, Methodists, maybe, but not us. Sometimes we even go to mom and dad. 
get them on our side. She isn't treating me right or he isn't behaving like he should be. And you know what? That is an absolute recipe for disaster. You are one flesh. Moms and dads don't belong between one flesh. And the only one that is to come between that one flesh is the Holy Spirit that does not divide but binds you together. Note also that she walks right by the priest. Please don't get me wrong. Going and seeking godly counsel from fellow believers is a great gift. And husbands and wives are not to have secrets or anything that divides them because they are one flesh. And priests and pastors are here to intercede for you in times of trials. But Hannah chooses to go to the source. She wants godly counsel and she goes to God. After all, he is the source of all strength and wisdom and comfort. She runs and prays to her Lord and this is wisdom. As Isaiah 33, 6 says, And he, and he will be the stability of your times, a wealth of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. Isaiah 40 says this, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Do you know this passage? And it says, he, he will give us wings to mount up as if we are eagles. Likewise, 2 Corinthians says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and of God of, of all comfort, who comforts us, don't we need that, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort we have received and are comforted by God. He is the source. It is good to seek godly counsel, but first, Seek God. He is the source of all of our strength. Someone say amen. Note also the way that Hannah prays. It says she greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord, and wept bitterly. Verse 15 says, I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Hannah held nothing back from the Lord. She didn't pretend that she wasn't hurting. She didn't pretend that God didn't know. She poured out her heart. And that's the connection. The Apostle Paul says that we are to pray in the Spirit. And listen, let's be honest with one another. How many of us sometimes struggle with our prayer life? How many of us don't feel that connection with our Heavenly Father, yet we'll forge ahead? Maybe we don't want to dedicate the time. Have you ever done one of those prayers as you're heading out the door? God, give me this, give me that, bless her, bless me. Out the door we go, and do you think that God really hears? The scripture says that we are to pray in the spirit, that we are to pour out our heart before the Lord. We are to come to him and center ourselves. You know, there are times when I have a difficulty praying. Truly, I do. And, I, and I, sometimes I would just stop. And this is what I do. I just begin to pray the attributes of God. 
I just begin to tell him about how good he is. And whatever comes to my mind in that moment, Lord, you are my banner. You are the one that goes before me. You are my strength. You are my hiding place. You are the one that guards my sides and my rear. You are the one that is my provider. You are the one who heals me. And here's the thing, that when we stop and we begin to pray the attributes of God, that is when we begin to connect and pray in the Spirit. And then you know what? It's time then to pour out our heart before God. We also note in this passage that she made a vow. How do you feel about that? In verse 11, it basically says, if you give me a son, O God, I will dedicate this child all the days of his life back to you. How do you feel about that? When I was in seminary, I knew everything before I went to seminary. When I got out, I realized I didn't know very much at all. I got in there one day, and, the, and my Old Testament professor, he was, he was talking, and, you know, and, and he asked the same question I asked you. He said, what do you think uh, about uh, making a vow uh, to God, making basically what, what? A deal. Making a deal with God. And because I knew so much in my first year of seminary, I raised my hand. That was the first thing you stop, you learn in seminary. Don't ever raise your hand. He said, what do you think about making a deal with God? I said, I don't think it's a very good idea. After all, who are we to make a deal with God? He said, that's interesting, Cal, because there seem to be so many examples of it in both in the Old and the New Testament. And God never seems to be terribly upset about it. That was the point I learned not to raise my hand anymore. <laughs> How do you feel about making a deal? To this very day, I still have mixed feelings about it. Perhaps simply making the vow communicates the fear and the anxiety that we're in the midst of. Perhaps we can make a vow if we simply align ourselves with God. Then again, last Thursday, Ronnie sang a song at a funeral, and I was sitting over here and kind of caught up in the beauty of what he was singing. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. The song based upon the words of Jesus are not two sparrows sold for a cent, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are numbered, so do not fear, for you are more valuable than many sparrows. The point of the scripture, do we make vows? Or does God already know and desire to bless his children? And so perhaps it is enough to pour out our God in faith as Hannah did and know that God is faithful. Names have power, by the way. They have meaning. Do you know what the name Calvin means? It means bald. And I'm growing into that name as I... The first thing, Hannah prayed. Secondly, she poured her heart out to God. And the third thing that I want you to see, this is my favorite verse of this passage. Listen to verse 18. This is what just brings it together for me. She said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went away after she prayed. She went away and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Now, I know what you're thinking. 
The favorite part of that verse is she went away and ate. That's what you're thinking, isn't it? It's not. It's not. It is that she prayed and she went and her face was no longer sad. She prayed and knew that she had given the problem over to her God and she knew the Lord was able and willing and she didn't worry about it anymore. Is that what you and I do? Is that the, <laughs> some of you sort of laughing. Is that what you do after you pray? Lord, I turn it all over to you. I turn all of it over to you. Well, almost all of it I turn over to you. Or I turn it over to you, God. But I've asked a few people. I've prayed over the years with uh, many people, been very blessed with had that opportunity. And sometimes I guess when I'm feeling audacious, I'll, I'll pray with somebody. And then afterwards, I'll look at them, and it's clear that they're still in turmoil. They're still uh, feeling the pressure of the trial that they're in. And, and I'll just ask them. I said, listen, why are you still worried? Have we not prayed? Have we not turned it over to the God who is able? And, and, and I've heard this more than once in response. I'm not worried. I'm just concerned. We turn it over to God. But often before we are up off of our knees, we take it back. And I would just hope that we are people like Hannah, at such moments when we're able to, or we're tempted to take back the problem we have, we want to take it out of the Lord's hands, who we know is capable, that's the very moment that we need to go back and pray. Instead of taking it back, instead of allowing ourselves to worry, instead of going and then asking how many friends we need to, to build our case, we return to the source and pray. Do you remember the parable of Jesus? In Luke 18, he says, now he was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. Well, we want to know how. He says, in a certain city, there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect him. There was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him saying, give me legal protection from my opponent. For a while he was unwilling, but afterward he said to himself, even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. That's the parable that Jesus said that we ought to pray at all times. What's the, what's the message? Is it that we should wear God out with, with, with a persistent prayer? Psalm 88 says this, O Lord, the God of my salvation, I have cried out by day and in the night before you. Or 1 Chronicles 16, 11, seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face continually. What's the message? Why do we have to wear God out? Is it that he didn't hear us the first time? Is it we're going to change his mind? Remind him? Not so. The all-knowing God is described in Psalm 139. It says, even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. So why pray continuously? 
You see, in moments of weakness, when we feel wobbly, when we are tempted to take the problem back from God's strong and perfectly capable hands, we find that we don't need to change God's mind, but God needs to change ours. See, this is a great secret, and I think a misunderstanding of prayer. When we pray fervently, continually, it's not that we're changing God's mind who knows all things, but in those moments of openness and vulnerability, as we pour our hearts out to God, God will change us. Sometimes he calms the storm. Sometimes he calms the child. But in both situations, what do we find? We find calm and we find peace. Hannah, showing such wisdom, prayed. She prayed fervently. Then she got up from her prayers, knowing that she had been heard and worried no more. Oh, my soul. What a blessing to not have to worry. That will change your life right there. That will improve both the quantity and the quality of your life. And after she got up and prayed, we tread lightly here. She got up and acted in faith. 1 Samuel 1.19, they rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord and returned again to their house in Ramah. And Elkanah had relations with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. She believed. She returned to her husband. She cooperated with God, and God blessed her with a son which she named Samuel. And we know that God will bless, but we must also do our part in faith. There's a story about a, a, a huge, terrible storm that was coming to a community, and, and, and the emergency warning went out to the, to the entire population. There's a great storm coming. We're afraid that the river is going to uh, spill over its banks. And, and one man said, I, I, I've heard the warning, but I will trust in God. I know I, if I am in danger, he will provide a divine miracle to save me. The neighbors came by the house and said, we're leaving, but there's room in the car. Won't you please get in the car? He said, no, I, I have faith that God will save me. The water began to rise up over his porch. He retreated inside and up a little bit higher. Hurry, the man said in the canoe. Come, come, get in the canoe with me. The waters are rising. The man said, no, thanks be to God. I know he will save me. The floodwaters rise even more, and he was up on the second floor at this point, and a police motorboat came by, saw him in the window. They said, we'll come in, we'll save you. He goes, no, go save someone else, because God will save me. The waters rose higher and higher again until he had to retreat up onto the roof of the house. A helicopter spotted him, threw down a ladder and said, Grab on, we will pull you up. But this man still refused, folding his arms tightly to his body. He said, no, thank you. God will save me. Shortly after the house broke up, floodwaters swept the man away. He drowned. He went to heaven. The man stood angrily before God and said, I put all of my faith in you. Why didn't you come and save me? And God said, child, I sent you a warning, 
I sent you a car, I sent you a canoe, I sent you a motorboat, I sent you a helicopter. What in the world were you waiting for? (laughs) Faith is wonderful. But sometimes we have to put feet to our faith and cooperate with God. I think the thing that I find so appealing about the story of Hannah is a powerful faith that God knows us and hears us and is willing to work on our behalf. A focused faith that is sure and confident and willing to cooperate with God. An open faith that stands ready to be blessed. I find it so appealing that it's my desire to be a person of faith like Hannah. And in fact, I hope that we all are people of faith like Hannah. Would you pray with me? Good and gracious Father, we come humbly before you in this moment, knowing that on our left and our right, before us, behind us, even where we sit today, there are struggles. We pray for one another, Father, that you would bless and protect and provide and heal. And we call upon you, Lord, because we know you are faithful and that you do not grow weary. And in fact, I think it blesses your heart, Lord, when we come believing. Give us the strength to persevere. Give us the strength to be a people of prayer, open to what you have in store. And we will praise you and thank you for everything you do. In Jesus' name, amen.